Flip to 2 Kings 22 if you have your Bibles. 2 Kings chapter 22. So as I said, this is our three-year anniversary. Um, in fact, uh, I, I think Mary pointed out to me, is it, was it Thursday you said? Thursday was, uh, this Thursday will be the official date when we had our very first gathering with three families. <laughs> so um, we kind of mark that. I, I think we, at the end of September is when we moved out. But So it's a three-year anniversary. So I'm going to talk about some things as it pertains to that today. So 2 Kings 22, let's read that. I will walk through that, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to read fairly quickly in the interest of time. So please, please listen closely. 2 Kings 22, verse 1. These are the words of God. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Imagine being eight and reigning as a king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah and of uh, Bosketh. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of uh, Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. Notice that. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. Verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and um, Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the, the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Aziah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam, and Akbor, and Shapham, and Isaiah, um, Isaiah, and Hilda the prophets, excuse me, went to Hilda the prophets, prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Ward, uh, wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. 
But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father and gracious God, we have gathered here today to celebrate the work that you have done in our lives. Without your grace, we would be dead in our sins and impotent to do anything just or righteous. We ask and pray now that you would continue to bless Cross and Crown, continue to guide us and direct us. May your spirit fill us so that we are better equipped to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are taking a break from our Romans series this week. And as I, me- I mentioned that last Sunday, that I was toying around with, with doing something uh, of this nature. And so I, I wanted to take time to celebrate our three-year anniversary of our assembly called Cross and Crown. Um, we're going to feast afterwards, but that's just what we do anyway. So I guess we can just maybe feel like it's more special. Uh, that's up to you. So it was three years ago when my family and I, we packed our house and we ventured here to Fauquier County to plant a church. Now, for the most part, uh, we had no real idea what it was going to look like. I remember Jordan and I having a conversation very early on, just remember what this is like now so that in a decade we'll be able to recall um, uh, how much fledgling was going on. (laughs) Now, church planting today tends to be the cool thing to do. It's the cool thing, the hip thing, Um, and they don't use those words, but I am, so here we are. But for us, we definitely do things very different. Everything's different. Everything is rather unconventional, you might say. We didn't marry ourselves to the government school system by paying them even more money that they've already robbed us from to rent a gymnasium and so we could put up lights and fog machines. And uh, we didn't get a paid worship leader to lull us to death with never-ending choruses that repeat meaningless lyrics ad nauseum. You know, we couldn't afford to do that anyway, Uh, nor would we do do that had we even possessed the money. But that's usually what you do. You, You get a worship pastor and there you go. So we didn't really do this church planting thing the way that most people do it today. And there's a very pointed reason for why this is the case. And there are maybe half of you in this room um, have no idea what three years ago was like and where we're at now. So this will be enlightening for you today, I, I would hope. Fundamental to our existence, and this is something that distinguishes us from the way church is done, done today, is our ecclesiolo- ecclesiological presuppositions. Ecclesiology is simply a word we use to describe the study of the church, the doctrine of the church. So we have certain ecclesiological presuppositions, things that we believe. Um, we, while we do believe in church government, elders, deacons, pastors, those sort of things, that is true. But our ecclesiology isn't truncated. What I mean is we do not believe that church government is supposed to be solely explained in terms of who's in charge or who gets to tell other people what to do sort of thing. 
uh, by and large today, when it comes to ecclesiology, that's about where it always ends up in who gets to be an elder, who gets to be the pastor, and who gets to do those things. And that's the end of it. Um, for the most part, it seems that's the case. Church government is typically viewed through the lens of authority, which is the wrong pair of glasses. Sure, elders are to rule according to the Word of God, no doubt, but the goal isn't rulership. So many churches try to get guys into the fast track to eldership so that they can be the next elder, and, and that becomes like the height of Christian experience. So if you're on the fast track to being an elder, then you're, you're like here, but the rest of you are like here, and so good luck, um, just pray harder, I guess. That tends to be all we talk about in evangelicalism when it comes to church government. So the goal isn't rulership in a church. The goal, like the goal of all layers of government, is self-government. Here's what I mean. Family, church, and state government, even the state government, is all designed to accomplish the self-government of man. All those three governments, are their aim is to accomplish the self-government of man. That's why God gave it, and I'll, I'll show you what I mean. The family is the training ground for more individuals who can be self-governed by the law word of God. So kids, that's you. Your parents are trying to teach you how to be self-governed, how to follow the Holy Spirit, how to obey the law word of God. So that, that's part of what they're trying to teach you. And naturally, of course, those families throughout time produce more and more families. And that's the way God has designed it to be. The goal of the state is not the use of coercion whenever it feels like it. And believe you me, there is plenty of that to go around right now. No, the state only uses those measures to force, um, of force to punish evil. That's the role of the, of the state. That's what Romans 13 clearly indicates to us. So this, too, is to result in the self-government of people. If you go back into Deuteronomy and even places in Leviticus, especially in Deuteronomy through the case laws following the, the Ten Commandments, there's this thing that keeps popping up. God wants justice to be done so that everyone else will fear. So, for example, when you don't punish murder by... Uh, um, by actually putting to death the murderer, you encourage in other people lawless behavior. All right. So if justice isn't done, then you have this standard of justice that's lowered. It's constantly lowered, and thus you have um, people who are more apt to maybe want to do those sorts of things. So. The, that's the role of, of the state, is to make sure that justice is done according to God's word, and all of that is to perpetuate the self-government of people. We're supposed to see justice and say, wow, I need to make sure that I'm self-governed because I don't need the state to come in and punish me according to God's word like that. So there's a role to be played there. Now, when it comes to the ecclesia of God, the church of God, the Greek word for church in the, in the New Testament is ecclesia, and that's a, a, you can translate it as the assembly or the called out ones. Um, I like to think of it more in Greek thought in terms of the synagogue, which we'll get to. But when it comes to the church, the ecclesia of God, when, when the church is functioning on all biblical cylinders in a society, 
Its goal is the raising up of regenerate, self-governed individuals filled and satisfied by the Holy Spirit who are then turned loose to carry out God's dominion covenant. When the church is functioning on that level, that's what's happening. It's not, it's not coddling. Disciple, discipleship isn't coddling. D- discipleship is following the master. That's Jesus. So th- when the church is doing that, when we are functioning the way God has called us to function, that stuff is going on. We are encouraging the self-government of people to fulfill their individual purpose and calling in the kingdom of God. That's what we want to see happen here at Cross and Crown. And this means that we have to rethink. We have to rethink some things when it comes to what we mean by church. The ecclesia, the church of God, is not primarily composed of a worship service, though the church does worship and gather and serve God in that capacity. The ecclesia of God is not primarily a set of rules and governance by men with egos, though men are to be elders if and when they meet the standards. And they do that so that they can pour themselves out in service to others. But instead of those, we should think of the church of God in, this, in these terms. The church is meant to be a kingdom outpost. A kingdom outpost, a household of God that's being built up by the word, sent out as priests and kings into the world under the authority of Christ Jesus. So it's not like you're more of a Christian on a Sunday morning and then everything's disconnected. So you leave and Monday comes around and you're, you, you, know, you were here at your Christian level, like a gas tank, you know, you got filled and then it's kind of depleted and, and then you're sort of running on fumes. No, your job is to be governed by the Holy Spirit. That's your job. So all of us in here ought to be governed by his Holy Spirit. So the ecclesia then, the church, and I'm speaking both broadly and locally, the church, the ecclesia, is supposed to function in service of the kingdom, not in service of itself. Okay? It's supposed to function in service to the kingdom, not in service of itself. As Rush Tooney has taught us, and I think he's dead on here, the church, the ecclesia, is not a terminal institution, but a functional one. It's not a terminal institution where the height of Christian experience is just participating in church services. And if you get really good, we're going to promote you to being a greeter. And if you're really good, you might be able to teach Sunday school. And that's kind of what we think, you know, join our church and and experience God. You can be a greeter. I see Seth at the door there greeting people. So, you know, that's like extra Christian. I'm like, I'm on this tier, you know, and and that's what we've done is we promoted these ideas. But the church is not a terminal institution. It's a functional one. The church has a function. It's not the end of the road. It's simply the beginning of the road, or maybe perhaps it is the road towards the kingdom of God. So the point isn't the truncated version of the church that we see all around us today. The point is to be in complete and utter pursuit of the kingdom of God in every single area of life. So on the front of your bulletins, maybe you just got used to to seeing it, but it's right there. You should pull them out and look right in front of you. Cross and crown, why do we exist? Why does the church of of cross and crown, this assembly, this ecclesia, why do we exist? What's our purpose? to equip men, women, and children to press the crown rights of King Jesus into every area of life, period. And let me tell you, 
I believe that to be a very biblical statement, a very biblical statement. That's, we don't, you know, you, you get, the goal in churches today, and I've, I've sat through um, tutorials and conferences and things where it's all about the, make sure you have the right saying, you know, because it's got to go on the front of the sign, and you have to, it's like a marketing tool. So inevitably, instead of, you know, what is the culture of your church and how do we fix it, or grow it, as it were, whatever, we just come up with cute sayings. And uh, having pastored with a staff and a team, uh, there's a lot of pressure to do that, to make sure you come up with the, a crystal clear statement so that you can slap it on a shirt and, and that's the end of Christianity. But our purpose, and when I say our, I don't mean my purpose. I mean your purpose too. That's our task, to equip men, women, and children here and out there to equip people to press the crown rights of King Jesus into every single area of life. Because we view the church this way, this means that we do things differently than the status quo. What started with two or three families early on has quickly erupted into well over 50 people who would associate themselves regularly with what, what it is we're doing, children included, and we keep having more babies, so that's really cool. People who are regulars, regularly a part of this social order that we are con trying to con construct. And some of you drive two hours to then spend six hours of your day to join us, and we love having you. And it is a social order, by the way. That may be a new phrase to you, but a social order, um, this is an ordering of life and a culture, if you will, an ordering of life under the priority of the kingdom. Rush Juni wrote one of the most unique and profound books in history, and that is The Foundations of Social Order. And our confession, our what we believe about Christianity, does affect uh, how we order our lives. So we, this is, I mean, this is what I think to be basic Christianity, but it's forgotten. The Christian church is to be an ordering of life under the priority of the kingdom. An ordering of life under the priority of the kingdom. And that's why we are hard to nail down. Okay? I remember um, Aaron commenting on this at the, at the reopen rally. And, uh, and part of my speech, I was talking about um, gun rights and medical freedom and unconstitutional immigration restrictions. And then it got awkward. Because we don't fit into the Democrat-Republican paradigm. We are in the kingdom paradigm. And so there are, um, both sides get things wrong, some more than others, but here we are. We are to participate and order our lives in terms of the authority of Christ, in terms of the, in terms of the priority of the kingdom. So that's why we would reject government schools. Because it's, it's not a priority in terms of the kingdom of God. The, the government doesn't get to, to tell you what to do with educating your children. And nor should they take your money from you so that they can fund other people's education. So that's why we speak of things like the drug war. Or we speak of, of, of the proper role of police. And how it should be more of a judicial uh, branch type thing and not an executive branch. So there's all these things that we talk about, but we do it because the Christian life, the Christian church is to be an ordering of life under the priority of the kingdom. So we've grown in three years. Some of you have moved a long way to come here. Um, even the frigid Northeast, you guys came from 
Boston. Boston, I don't know if I said it right, but that's how you say it. And thanks be to God for that. And as we consider Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission, we find that it's our job to teach the nations, to teach people groups among us how to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are here, make no mistake, we are here in Fauquier County to Christianize it. Not with swords and guns and, you know, uh, kind of the medieval crusade type mindset. No. We, we are to Christianize it from top to bottom, side to side, front to back. And the way we do it is by pressing the crown rights of Jesus into every single nook and cranny. So before I get too far into that, I'm going to just quickly summarize our passage so that you know what it is I'm getting at when we read the Josiah passage and the passage behind the passage, as you'll see shortly. So the text is pretty straightforward. Um, after two appalling reigns of pagan kings, we finally get a king. He's eight. Who in here is eight years old? Do we have an eight-year-old in here? Jack, you're eight. All right. Imagine you're the king of America right now. He's like, aha. <laughs> He's excited. So Josiah is eight years old. All right. We get a king who comes along, who finally comes close to the standard set by David. In fact, David is mentioned uh, for a reason here in verse 2. David is kind of the pinnacle of the Israelite monarchy. And Josiah comes later, and he's, he's close to David. He's very much like David. He was 8 years old, 18 years into his reign. He's 26. Something magnificent happens. The temple was being renovated due to its prior abuses from prior administrations. That's why there's money talk here and the masons and the carpenters. They were trying to repair some things. But during the renovation project, the book of the law was found by Hilkiah the priest. Hilkiah gave it to Shaphan, who was the king's secretary. And then Shaphan reads it and thinks, what? So he goes and reads it to the king. This book, by the way, was probably a scroll. It may have been the whole, it may have been um, various parts of the Torah, what's called the Tanakh, yeah, the, the, the Law, the Prophets. Um, but at this point, I mean, in Kings, Kings is still, you know, history is still happening. So it probably was actually a scroll of Deuteronomy. Most scholars would agree with that. The book, when the book was read to him, the question is how did Josiah respond? That's a 26-year-old man. How did he respond? Verse 11 says that he tore his clothes in repentance. That's his first act. He hears the book of the law read and he tears his clothes. To tear one's clothes is to be entirely undone. To be undone. He was immediately despondent. He was, he was stricken with this deep melancholy. He was um, entirely lugubrious. That is, he's, he's feeling the sense of dismal dejection. And this de despair and this dejection led him to the next logical conclusion. He tore his clothes and he needs to hear from God. So what does he do? He finds a prophet. Huldah the prophetess, she tells the king that God intends to wipe the place clean. <laughs> it's been bad in Israel. We're just going to wipe the place clean with judgment. Of course, um, just Josiah will be gathered to his fathers long before he's, he sees the destruction. So 
God was pleased with Josiah, and later on in the next couple of chapters, you can read that at home if you want, but Josiah makes a whole lot of changes for the Israelite social order. So often this is called national covenanting. The king acted like the servant he was supposed to be, and by being the servant he was supposed to be, he rid the land of idols, tearing down the high places, all the false altars and, and idols and everything. They were to be gone from the land. And he wanted to see to it that God was worshipped. And, and the question I have as I consider this text is, what was it that struck such a sharp chord with Josiah that, that he tore his clothes the way he did? What was it? I believe that Obviously, the whole book of Deuteronomy would have brought him to his knees, no doubt. But how could one hear the sanctions of Deuteronomy 28 and not move to repentance? If you don't know Deuteronomy 28, you need to know Deuteronomy 28, because that's what we're living in right now. The first 14 verses are the blessings of the covenant. If you obey, these are the blessings. You know, you'll be the head, not the tail. There's all these economic blessings, agricultural blessings. And then the whole rest of the chapter are the curses. Famine. Um, even one, the NASB translates it correctly, inflammation. Which is, if you look around the health of our nation, that's not good. I mean, setting even COVID aside, it's not good. So Deuteronomy 28 contains the sanctions of God against his disobedient people. And for whatever reason, it was the Holy Spirit, no doubt, working. Josiah was shaken to the core of his being. And rightfully so. Josiah um, repented because he and his people were not obeying the law of God. They had maligned the covenant that God had made with them. And because of it, God's wrath had been kindled against them. The problems they, they had were a result of disobedience, okay? So you look at America and you think, wow, this is a blender with no lid. Things are getting really crazy. And the reason for that is because of disobedience. Every time. The unraveling of the American social order is because of disobedience. And the only way out of disobedience is a repentant obedience. So the key lesson here is this. Don't forget what the Bible says. Don't forget what the Bible says. The Israelite social order had become disheveled beyond repair, and the reason is because they had forgotten and they had forsaken the covenant of God. When you forget the commands of God, you forsake and break the covenant of God, and thus you fail to repent towards God, which should be a lifestyle. So let's consider a few things as we celebrate three years of God's faithfulness to us, especially in light of this passage. No doubt we live in some interesting times. The commands of God have been all but completely eradicated from cultural memory. Um, when I was a kid, even in the middle 80s um, to late 80s, there was still a sense of um, sanctity regarding the Sabbath day, the Lord's day. Um, restaurants were closed, businesses were closed. Um, and, and now it's kind of the opposite. You know, Chick-fil-A gets made fun of because they close on Sunday. Um, which, you know, maybe there's a Sunday you really want some Chick-fil-A, but, but here we are. What is your priority, I guess? The churches, by and large, remain cozied up to the beast, blindly obeying anything that comes their way. 
If there was ever a time that the law of God has been lost, that time is now. And what we must not do is go right along with the forgetfulness. We must not forget that God blesses obedience. We must not forget that God curses disobedience. We must not forget that God has established His church for the advancement of the kingdom in real time. We must not forget that liberty and justice are two concepts that mean nothing apart from God's Word. We must not forget that Jesus has been established as Lord of the world, and that actually means something. We must not forget. In three years, the Lord has sovereignly brought people to us. He has taken people away to other places, of course, too. We have baptized babies. We have eaten a whole lot of meals together. I think we eat more meals together in a month than most churches do in a decade. Maybe. We have for three years now, we have established ourselves in our communities. Some of us are... Some of us have purchased property. Some of us would like to, but, you know, we're scared of taxes. Um, <laughs> um, we've also uh, established ourselves through being present in the community, uh, using the Internet as a means as well of making Christ known. The sheriff knows who we are and what's expected of him, as does the County Board of Supervisors. Um, last December put pressure on them to strengthen a statement locally. They didn't like that. So Jordan and I brought 2,000 of our friends. <laughs> By God's grace, we worked with others, of course. It wasn't just him or I, but we got what we wanted, sort of a Magna Carta moment. We need a lot of those going on. Even the mayor of Warrington knows what we're up to, at least to some degree. He's a business owner downtown. Uh, I met with him. It's been a while, and I'm not sure when he's up for re-election, but he knows. He knows about Crossing Crown and those types of things. We have tried to serve, for example, those businesses who were being destroyed by unloving and unlawful lockdowns, all the while agitating local officials with the doctrine of interposition. And by the way, they don't know what it is. They have no idea. Remember Sheriff Mosier, Chris, he, he, he kind of had a, a semblance through the military analogy of you know, disobeying your superior, but he has no biblical precedent. He's a Christian man. So he needs to know this. So we gave him a book and gave him a talk and went on our way. Um, for us, we need to view civil magistrates like King Ahab, and we are the Elijah. Remember Ahab says, is it you, O troubler of Israel? Is it you, cross and crown, O troubler of Fauquier County? <laughs> we want to be godly troublemakers. We really do. We've stood outside abortion clinics. We've evangelized at college campuses. A uh, bunch of little socialists walking around who love infanticide and we get to share the gospel with them and it gets kind of crazy, but um, we've also created websites to change the conversation locally here. RestoreFauquierCounty.com being one um, and, and this fall another one coming. We've changed a lot of diapers. Let's not forget the diapers. We've changed a lot of diapers. We've taught our kids to love King Jesus and his gracious word and so on. So for three years, cross and crown, we've been present and accounted for. We have been present and accounted for. We have developed a worldwide, literally a worldwide network. If you just get one country, it's worldwide, right? We, a worldwide network of like-minded churches, the FCRC. That is not the 
uh, Fauquier County Republican Committee, though <laughs> that is the FCRC here, um, but the Fellowship of Christian Reconstructionist Churches. We've also joined with others in the fight against medical tyranny. Virginia Freedom Keepers, Virginia's for Medical Freedom, um, teamed up with a, a friend of ours, um, a friend of Jordan and I's, um, Ginger, to uh, come up with the No Deception org work. Um, I continue to keep getting involved in these works as well. And, and with the book coming out, I imagine maybe there'll be some more opportunities. So we've pushed out sermons and books and podcasts to the entire planet. If there's life on Mars, they're going to hear that. There isn't, but yeah. Okay. Um, we, have, we have grown businesses, sometimes uncontrollably. Someone left the fire hydrant on again. <laughs> Um, we have done that for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. We have traveled to Zambia to proclaim the comprehensive nature of the gospel and let them know that America isn't as great as they think it is, and so on. Um, these are all things to, to celebrate. We have had opportunities to fellowship. We have had opportunities to walk through hard times together. We have been able to do quite a lot as a community together. So we want to celebrate those things, no doubt, um, but there is more. The Church of Jesus Christ is an impregnable force in the world. It's an unstoppable force in the world. There is nothing like the ecclesia of God, but we have to keep a few things in mind lest we forget and lest we end up like the nation that we have right now around us. To start, we need to keep an eye out on what it, we, what it is we intend to accomplish as a local church, as a local ecclesia. We are the assembly, we are the people of God, and we are trying to build a social order. We are not trying to recreate the temple, rather we are trying to replicate the synagogue. The, the, and, and Jordan has talked about this, and we continue to talk about this, but the Jewish synagogue was the polis, if you will, the, the city of God. That was the, the center of Jewish life. It was the center of what it meant to be a part of a community. So we want to replicate that. It was, a, it was a city of God in the midst of the cities of men. It was a place where a culture was, was cultivated, education, arbitration, all these different things. We want that. We, we want that to be the case. And we have it in a lot of ways. But of course, there's always room for growth. For the, for, the, for the local culture, um, the synagogue was a central marker. So the ecclesia of God, that's the church of God, we need to understand ourselves as a political movement of political people. So many people apologize for that. Pastors who will stand up and, and say, oh, you know, I'm not trying to make a political statement. Look, Jesus is Lord, everything's political. Amen. Everything is. So deal with it. <laughs> that's the thing. We are a political people. The ecclesia was in Greek world, that's where, that was the group. Those were some where the city elders would come together, the, the men would gather, and they would talk. They would strategize. They would do what, a lot of times what we try to do in strategy on a Sunday morning. Um, we want to worship God and strategize for his kingdom. So a lot of times that's what would happen in the Greek world. Of course, we're Christians, and so you know there's that with it. So our aim is to further things like Christian education, Christian culture, being attuned to what's going on in the world around us, being attuned so that we can fight for justice and righteousness and so on. So we want the language, the memory, the rhythms and practices of our county here to reflect the kingdom of God. 
okay? So Walmart needs to stop selling plan B. And we may not get that at the national level, but we can get it locally. We can do it locally. We wanna educate people on the atrocity of abortion. We wanna educate people on the problems of vaccination. We wanna educate people on the role of the sheriff, how governments are supposed to function and so on. All of these things, that's what we wanna do. And this means that we must lead out in discussions here locally. We have been able to achieve this with the reopen efforts. Um, thanks to Chris and all your work, you worked very hard on that. We continue to see some fruit from that. Um, but we need to, to further this process. Um, we need to figure out a ways to create dialogue in the county, teaching the county how to think like Christians, because Christians are the only ones, through God's grace and his word, that have an answer and a justification for logic, for law, for order in a society, for justice. So through forums and political engagement and those types of things, it's imperative that we bring the gospel to bear locally. Um, if there's one thing I learned, how many of you suffered through the presidential debate last week? The, uh, the presidential food fight <laughs> and or um, nanny cam for the kindergarten discussion that went on. There's one thing that I learned from watching not all of it, but some of it is that the answer is clearly not between deciding on two blockheads in D.C. The answer is localism, 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 localism working here locally. Cross and crown must be here, all of Christ for all of life, for all of Fauquier County, period. And this should be easy given the fact that tyranny is such an ugly reality right now. People are starting to see these problems, but I'm telling you it's not going to be easy. We have a recalcitrant, stubborn church on the one hand and exuberant pagans who will gladly take power all day on the other hand. T two problems. So we have our work cut out for us, that's for sure. I anticipate in the future, Cross and Crown will be slandered heavily. We will. Anyone who does anything worth, worthy for the kingdom will be slandered, will be mocked, will be told, lies will be spread. That stuff is going to happen, but we have to remain vigilant. Okay, we have to. Children, listen carefully, all of you. Your job is to learn as much as you can right now, okay? To learn as much as you can right now. Get your reading and your writing down because some of you are going to write stuff in the future that's going to take the nation where it needs to go. So learn that now. You need to learn some science because the science that passes today is garbage. You need to learn your Bible so you know what God expects and what God demands of you and your family and your church and this nation and the world. You also need to learn a whole lot of history. So learn, learn, learn. Learn from the people of the past. Learn the mistakes that were made. Correct the course. That's your job. All right, kids? Okay, I'm done with you for the moment. Men, well, I'll start with husbands. You need to exhaust yourself in service to your wife and your family. You need to hit the pillow every single night as someone who has expended his energies and on the service of others in the kingdom of God. Okay? Don't go to bed with a ton of energy. <laughs> go to bed exasperated. You've fought the devil. You've fought sin. You've tried to cultivate your family. That's how we should function. Men 
who don't have a family yet, who will, by God's grace, same thing. Go to bed tired because you spent your time learning, reading, fighting the good fight. Wives, keep it up with the kids. We need you more than anything, okay? We need you more than anything. Be encouraged knowing that your labor is not in vain, even if you've changed the sheets 12 times in one day. Kingdoms are built on the backs of moms because moms birth and nurture future warriors. We need to keep preaching Christ in every single area of life. Medical tyranny has reached an all-time high, and right now the covidiacy continues unabated. The church is supposed to be an outpost of the kingdom, not a mystic cult behind with rituals all behind closed doors. We're going to have to get our hands dirty. We're going to have to work very hard knowing that we serve a gracious God. And first and foremost, we have to make sure that we stick close to the Word of God. We have to. We cannot forget it. We can't forget it because when we forget it, we don't repent. And when we don't repent, we court disaster. So what do, we, what do the next few years look like? Well, one, um, if we're doing our job, I see us growing in number and influence. Uh, I, I see that happening, growing and expanding not only with numbers, but also in influence. We're supposed to teach the county how to worship and serve the Creator. And this means that some will come along with us while others will not. And we, if they're going to, you know, if their church is serving the kingdom, hooray, hooray. If their church is not serving the kingdom, they need to serve the kingdom. So we're going to be cheered very little. We'll probably be jeered a whole lot. <laughs> but hey, so is Jesus. We're in good company. I would like for us to somehow consider moving forward. If there is a way that we can be downtown in a space where we can have offices, perhaps a multifunctional place, business opportunities, um, definitely a, a space where perhaps we can foster community conversations and so on um, on topics that matter. I would love for us to have put on a forum on, you know, police and sponsor it by whatever and bring the mayor along, bring the sheriff, and let's talk about these issues and influence because the church doesn't lead in that at all. The church is 10 years behind on everything, it seems like. So I see us leading the way on important conversations and current events and so on. Perhaps we can have an economic forum of sorts, town hall things of that nature. I also see us figuring out ways to change the conversation when it comes to practical things like local taxes. Anybody pay their proper, local property tax, personal property tax? What? 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 <laughs> that needs to go away. Education, the role of the judiciary, we probably need to get more jury nullification conversations going on with people and so forth. Um, I, I don't see the church at large repenting for abortion apathy, which makes me believe that much more tyranny is going to come our way. The surest way to bring the church to her knees in repentance is to bring a powerful, excuse me, a prideful despot to, to power. Uh, I think Calvin said something like, when God judges nations, he gives them wicked rulers. So I don't think America can stay together long, which means I do believe that we're going to we'll run into a time of peaceful, nonviolent secession conversations. They've already been happening. If you haven't read F.H. Buckley's book, he teaches at George Mason on American secession. You should. It's a very informative book. Um, 
and I caveat that I hope it's peaceful, nonviolent secession. Either way, we're in a heap of trouble as a nation, and the only way out is the small door of repentance. And too many people are nervous that they can't fit through it, and they can't, not with egos the size of Africa. So we are three years old. Happy birthday. Here we are. So we need shovels to build. We need swords in order to fight. Metaphorical swords, lest the internet come along and accuse me of something I didn't say. And most importantly, we need torn clothes in order to make sure we're doing it God's way. So may the Lord bless us and keep us and make his face shine upon us. Let's pray. Father God, if there's... um, there's much we could rejoice in today for what you've done in this fellowship and, and the things you continue to do. And it's exciting to serve the kingdom because there is so much opportunity for it. We know your word says that the, the, uh, the harvest, of, harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. But here we are, like Isaiah, send me, send us. Uh, Father, we are your servants and we want to be um, first in the repentance line always there, rushing to the repentance line so that, so that we won't court disaster. Father, like Daniel, who interposed in prayer for the nation, we do the same today. And, and while we do have so much to celebrate, we also have a lot to mourn, Father, as we see the tyranny around us. Uh, so much statist humanist nonsense continues to grow and father i I just pray that your spirit would be with us that we would speak boldly father i pray for our kids here who in the next 20 30 years are are going to be carrying this vision forward and i do pray god for influence and not the kind of influence that perpetuates the same idolatry not the influence that Um, strokes our ego and makes us prideful, but the sort of influence that your son Jesus had, who was humble, persuasive, who was diligent in speaking of the things of the kingdom, and yet people hated him. People tried to trap him with metaphorical parables and such but he was steadfast and resolute. And I pray the same for each here today. Father, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise because you are the king, you are the lawgiver, you are the creator and sustainer. So we glorify you today. In Christ's name I pray, amen.